It's official. Our book, Blarity Intelligence, The Missing Logic and Leadership is available for purchase in bookstores today. If you didn't pre-order a copy, please go out and get one as soon as possible. Polarities are all around us in our homes, our work environments, in our communities, and our countries, and even in us. And if you don't recognize them, understand how they work on you and around you, and don't know how to leverage them, they will haunt you. Polarities will keep showing up in your life as persistent, unsolvable problems. Having this awareness and knowledge compels us to share it with leaders like you around the world. We believe polarization we've experienced in our homes and schools and communities and even our world would shift if every leader became polarity intelligent. It is an essential competency you can't afford to overlook. Start your journey today toward becoming polarity intelligent. Get your copy of Polarity Intelligence, The Missing Logic and Leadership, wherever you get your books. This is the True Leader Podcast. Today, our special guest is our colleague, Tim Arnold. Today, we talk about his new book, Next Level Teamwork, in which tensions you must manage to have high-performance teams. Stay tuned. Welcome to the True Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We are life and business besties, leadership coaches and mentors, and polarity intelligence experts. We're the authors of Polarity Intelligence, The Missing Logic and Leadership, and co-founders of Missing Logic. We are here to help high-achieving leaders break through leadership norms that cause them suffering at work and home. If you're looking to elevate your leadership, increasing your productivity, effectiveness, and impact, and manage your health and well-being, spend quality time with those you love, and live your best life, then you are in the right place. Our goal in this podcast is to equip you with new ways of thinking and practical and tactical strategies for succeeding at work and thriving in life. Think of this podcast as your weekly dose of personal and professional development so you can reach your full leadership potential, create a life you love, and be what we are calling a thriving, resilient, and unstoppable or true leader. If you are ready to learn and laugh a little, let's get started. Welcome to another episode of the True Leader Podcast. I am Michelle. And I am Tracy. And we are here to make your day. Yeah, we're your co-hosts. Yes. (laughs) And we have a third person joining us today because this is an interview episode. Yes, it is. I like doing interviews. I do too. Yeah, it's really, um, it's fun, right? Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. just get to hear about all kinds of really interesting lessons, insights, experiences, expertises. Yeah. A lot of laughs too on our interviews. Yeah. We like to laugh. We do. Yeah. We laugh quite a bit. Yeah. (laughs) It's very loud, loud laughter. If you haven't noticed. (laughs) (laughs) And this particular guest was a guest on our podcast when it was Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast back in the early days. Yes, very early days. In fact, we were reminiscing it was back in the early, early days when we really didn't know exactly what we were doing, but we had it sort of figured out. (laughs) (laughs) We were just doing it. We were novice podcasters. We were. And and he was very gracious to be on our show and talk with us. And we've known him for quite a while through other mutual acquaintances. Again, 
networks of people that introduce you to people, right? That's right. Yeah. And uh, just he's a really wonderful person. He's a wonderful man. We're very much aligned in our work. And he wrote another book. And uh, so it's very timely with what we're doing. And so we said, hey, come on to our podcast and share with our listeners what you're up to and what your new book is about. And that's what we talk about. Yep. And so this person that we're talking about is Tim Arnold. (laughs) (laughs) So let me tell you a little bit more about Tim Arnold. Uh, He is a leadership development and team building expert. He has spent over two decades helping leaders manage complexity, increase resilience, and deliver results within organizations such as the United Nations, Compassion International, Royal Bank of Canada, Allstate Insurance, Toyota, and Siemens. Having successfully managed both a for-profit business and a homeless shelter, Tim draws from his real-world experiences to guide organizations in their pursuit of both profit and purpose. His work focuses on helping leaders unleash the superpower of both and thinking in an either-or world. Uh, Arnold, Tim, Arnold, (laughs) is the author of the best-selling books, Next Level Teamwork, Lead with And, and The Power of Healthy Tension. Beyond leadership and team development, Tim is an avid angler, world traveler, and a really bad hockey player. (laughs) Sorry, Tim. Had to tell. (laughs) Yeah, that's okay. We love (laughs) hockey, and we love you, Tim. So without further ado, here's our interview with Tim Arnold. Well, welcome, Tim Arnold, to the True Leader Podcast. We're so excited to have you as our guest today. Oh, I've been looking forward to this. It's great to be here. Yeah, welcome. Yeah. We're super excited. We are. We are. And, you know, you're no stranger to us. And we really admire you, Tim, and your work. And uh, you were actually a guest on our previous podcast, Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. And since it's been a while, why don't you tell us and our listeners, you know, what's new in your world? What have you been up to? Oh, it's a, it's a, a loaded question. There's so <laughs> many ways you could approach it. I mean, the last few years have just been... A, a true adventure. I mean, I don't know if we've done work together uh, like this since before the pandemic. No, and, no. you know, that was uh, a few years of learning how to do everything differently. Um, it had me on the edge of my learning curve in great ways. Um, now it feels like there's this new reality that we're navigating where I'm in front of a camera like this often. I am also um, on the road again, which, oh, it's so nice to be with people once again. That's mm. been lovely. Um, and that's just the work side. I've got a 12 and a 13 year old and between, you know, uh, their sports and adventures, um, my wife and I are just trying to keep on top of stuff and loving every minute of it. (laughs) Oh, that's fabulous. That is, that is. Yeah. Yeah. We love being with people again too. It's been Mm -hmm. one of the benefits, right? Just that connecting and yeah, there's nothing like it. Right, right. And then you really appreciate the virtual aspects more now, too. So it is an and in both, right? (laughs) It is, in a good way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, we are really excited about the new book series that you have put out. And tell us a little bit about this new endeavor of yours and the approach that you're taking, and then we'll dive a little bit more into it. Sure. So uh, like the two of you, uh, my life has been changed and improved uh, gratefully by understanding this phenomenon of polarities and paradox. And um, it's something I've kind of devoted my career to studying and researching and writing about. And 
you know, years ago, it was really just the concept of polarities and tensions. But in the last few years, I realized that there's certain things that organizations face where there's a, a couple underlying tensions or polarities that if we could just name them and learn to manage them just a bit more effectively, gosh, it would make such a difference in allowing us to really walk our talk. And I'm working on a series right now. I just released my, my first book of a three book series, Next Level Teamwork. Um, and it does just that. So in about 50 to 55 pages, it says, you know, in a nutshell, when it comes to teamwork, nobody's totally figured out. It's always a work in progress, whether you're in a team of two or a team of 200, it's always a work in progress. That said, at any given time, you want to be able to pause and say, are we getting better? Are we becoming more aligned? Is there more safety and trust? And for the answer to be yes to those questions, there's a few tensions or polarities that I know you've got to make sure you're managing well. You got to be able to have everyone clear around them, recognize these tensions are not going away and that's okay. But rather than you know, pick sides or live in constant division or pendulum, let's instead lean into it and really learn to, you know, leverage what I often refer to as healthy tension. And when we do that with a few key tensions, our teams, again, there's no miracle cure. You're always working on teamwork, but our teams actually do start to work. So this is the first, and uh, yeah, it's really focused on this idea of next level teamwork, making sure that one plus one plus one at least equals more than three. But you all know that, you know, one plus one can actually equal 50 or 100. And that's the goal. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, um, tell us a little bit about how you've kind of laid out the book and how, like, you know, how do you walk the the readers through this process of kind of grasping these five different polarities, actually, that you talk about in the book? How does that kind of laid out for them? Sure, sure. And, and I, I, I should probably let, you know, everyone who's listening know, I'll use the word polarities and tensions pretty interchangeably. I often use the word managing tensions. So polarities, paradoxes, we're talking the same thing. Um, so just be aware of that. But, you know, I, I started digging into research and then I started interviewing a lot of my clients and found that, you know, in any team, whether you're a small startup with just a few people or a Fortune 500 where you're running a division or a department, there's a list of underlying tensions that are unavoidable. I don't care what you do, you're gonna be facing them. Mm -hmm. And the list was actually quite long, but as I started to interview folks and get into the research, I realized there's a short list that are really make it or break it. Meaning that if, if you could just focus on these ones, if you could just, make these ones a common language with your team and be committed to managing them well, it would really make the key difference. So I took the long list and narrowed it down to five, five key tensions that I'd say every team has to manage. And you're already dealing with them. The question is, are we, are we managing them well? Are we leveraging them? Mm-hmm. So the short, I call it a playbook because it's just full of plays that you can put into practice right away. Mm-hmm. Next Level Teamwork identifies five of these tensions and says, here's kind of how you can name and assess it, kind of look at how well are you managing it now. And here's some practical things that you can do to manage each of these tensions just a bit more effectively in the season ahead. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and so the five, let's talk about what the five are, right? Yeah, so it's drum roll, please. Yes, here we go. Here's the big five everybody's dealing with. And I'm sure our listeners will recognize this. As soon as we say them, they'll know. They've probably yes. experienced them. They just didn't know what it was or didn't have that common language, like you said, to yes. really talk about them. So focusing on task and relationships, leveraging structure and flexibility, communicating truthfully and tactfully, promoting collaboration and independence, and increasing empowerment and accountability. Hmm. What a great list. Those (laughs) are the five. And, you know, what's interesting is that, you know, the specific words I use may not be what you would use in your team, but the essence, the spirit of those tensions. Again, once you get a little bit of insight into each one, you're like, oh, yeah, we we deal with that all the time. You know, I I often say whenever you're in a meeting and someone's surfacing a, a concern or an opportunity in the back of your mind, you're thinking, are we still talking about this or are we still dealing with this? You know, that's a great indicator that this isn't probably a solvable problem. And that's okay. Let's just call it as it is. And let's look at how can we manage this well. Yeah. 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 Well, um, let's let's start at the top. <laughs> First of all, we, uh, you know, we work with polarities with leaders as well, as you already said, Tim. And um, and we also recognize even in our own team, like I appreciate what you said, whether it's two people, four people, 200 mm-hmm. people. And um, so the first one was task and relationships. Yeah. And, and, you know, Tracy and I, you just need to know up front that we hold preference polls of the opposite of these all the way down the list, <laughs> all the way, which we know is a great thing because we know how to lean into them. And we also know, um, and it's something we're always working on too, right? Mm-hmm. It's just, that's yeah. the beauty of polarities. You yeah. just learn how to, how to leverage that tension at all times. But the task and relationship one, I think is something that we see uh, leaders also just, it's, it's a top tension. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why that one was the first one and, um, what, what you see when you're managing it well, what some of the outcomes are. Sure. And, and, you know, I would say you, you have a, a wonderful community and audience of folks who, you know, talk the language of polarities often, but I think it's just good to kind of stand back and remember there's certain things like breathing, where one side can't exist without the other, uh, or at least it can't exist in a healthy way. You know, inhaling needs exhaling or you're blue in the face. Well, in a team, if you really want trust and psychological safety, on one level, you do need to be task focused. I need to be able to just deliver and make sure that you know that I'm going to kind of produce what you're expecting me to produce. Like the task focus is important. We got to get stuff done. And what's interesting is I think through the pandemic, we learned that we could actually be more task focused than we even knew we could. And we don't even need to be together. We can work remotely and we can find new ways to just put our head down. And I think, you know, at the end of maybe year one or the middle of year two of of the pandemic, we thought, gosh, we're still getting stuff done. And yet, I know at least in the teams that I work with around the world, I was hearing the same conversation, but we're starting to lose that essence of trust and connection and that sense of belonging and people that were always star performers and were all in for the long haul. Well, now they don't feel as connected to what we're doing. And, you know, they're maybe a little bit more apt to look around at other opportunities. And I think we've learned 
that that task focus is amazing, but we also need to continually value relationships, even when we're not face to face. And, you know, I'm not talking about the necessity to go to the woods for two days and do trust falls or hold hands and sing <laughs> kumbaya. But we do need to know each other beyond job descriptions. Yeah. We need to actually know each other as human beings. And, you know, I think one thing that even in my small team, when we start to neglect the relationship side, you know, first of all, we start to lose alignment because everyone's just working in their own little silo. But beyond that, we just get more snippy with each other. We, we, you feel it, the relationships, even, and we have a wonderful group of people who really value each other, but that relationship focus matters. And you know, what's interesting about polarities and tensions is it's not about 50, 50. It's not about, we need equal equivalent portions. You still, and I know in my team, we're much more focused on task accomplishment, but we really make sure that the values of relationships aren't getting neglected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's simple things that you can do to make that happen. I think, you know, there's a wonderful quote um, from leadership philosopher uh, Peter Block. He says, we have to establish connection with each other, connection before content. Mm-hmm. You know, without relatedness, no real work can occur. Mm-hmm. And I think even that is a motto to say connection before content. So, you know, I'm thinking about this conversation today. We deliberately set up a call ahead of time just to check in, just to see what's going on in your world and how are things going and what are you excited about? And that type of connection doesn't take long, but I guarantee it makes this experience right now incredibly richer, much more strong. And, you know, I say to leaders all the time, when you've got Zoom meeting schedules, carve out five minutes of connection before you dive into content. Because what happens is, you know, and this doesn't matter if we're in the boardroom or at the Zoom meeting, you know, we often will say, how's everyone doing? And the, the, the answer we get is good or busy. And then we get down to work, you know? So what we need to do is just change that a bit to ask, you know, real questions. Hey, how was everyone's weekend? What's something you're looking forward to in the season ahead? Mm-hmm. You know, what's one thing that's really been on your mind lately? You know, just simple questions. And I'll tell you, if you can carve out five minutes of a 30 minute meeting, the rest that, that 25 other minutes will be so much more efficient so much more connected. People who often don't say much start to speak up. Mm -hmm. So, you know, little things like that. I also would say weekly organizations need to do something to celebrate wins. You know, there's regardless of the situation you're in, something's working and you got to train your eye to look for it. And when we do that, we actually sense that related connection. I this can be a, a, a process that you put into place where you do shout outs at the end of the week. It could be, you know, something that's done virtually or in person, but something that celebrates, hey, Tracy did this with me last week and wow, was it fantastic. Or I just want to acknowledge, you know, Michelle's meeting that she had because it made such a difference in my client relationship. Just those little connection points that are attached to a name can really, really go the distance with with relationship development. And then as much as we don't need to do, you know, high ropes and trust falls, which all of which I think could be great. We do need to get together sometimes. I have a CEO I've worked with for years and his, he has this motto. He says, we relationships can only be built by wasting time together. Uh, I love it. Oh, we're pros at that. that. (laughs) Isn't that so great? Uh This idea of, you know what? We're deliberately going to just have a meal together. 
or we're going to go serve in the community, or we're going to, you know, just take some time to be together. And as much as we can come up with 800 things that we should be doing, this is exactly what we should be doing, just being together. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would say seasonally carve out time for that. Mm -hmm. And as a task biased person, (laughs) those are things I have to put in my calendar because I won't do that naturally. That's a blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. But I know that when I remind myself to schedule those one-on-ones, schedule that connection before content, it's, it's a win-win. Mm-hmm. You know, on the other side, I would say just because your team is busy doesn't mean that they've got a healthy task focus. Busyness and productivity are not the same thing. Nope. Yeah. So what I would say to you, if you want to make sure that you're not just busy, you're not just task focused, but you got a healthy focus on task. And when I was writing Next Level Teamwork, I really spent some time digging through research. And I found that at any given time, if you want to assess how healthy is our task focus, there's three questions that your team should answer yes to on any given day. Individually, each team member needs to say, am I clear what my piece is? And do I have what I need to deliver on it? And a job description is not enough. I need to know what does that look like by the end of the week? What does that look like by the end of the month? And do I have the, the people, the time, the resources to win? That's the one question. The second linked to a healthy task focus is, am I surrounded by team members who are engaged and committed to delivering on their piece? And you know this because in you know, small organizations like yours, one of the biggest things to engage you is to be around engaged people. You know, it's yeah. contagious. And you know, the opposite's true as well. If you've got a lot of people that are just okay with mediocrity, that task focused, people will stay busy, but productivity goes down. Mm-hmm. You know, and the last one is just, I think if we want a healthy task focused, we need to at any given time be able to assess, how do I know if I'm winning or losing? You know, what does a win look like for me and for our team? Mm-hmm. And that's not just once a year checking in with metrics. It's next month, what would a win look like? How would we know if we're not winning? And, you know, I work with some organizations that have really clear KPIs, they're in sales and marketing, it's easy to assess, but there's lots of organizations, nonprofits, service organizations, where assessing those wins and losses is trickier, and yet it's every bit as important. Yeah, yeah. Well, those are great points, really great points. Great examples. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I I think, you know, one of the things that we've done, Um, Well, in our business, we've been very intentional about, you know, check-ins every Monday, celebrations every month. Like, I think you have to bake it into your culture, to your point, schedule it, make it a part of who you are as a team, how you operate as a team. And then you're more likely to do these things, right, that are going to keep the relationship piece high. And it's so interesting. I I hired a new team member in the last six months, and she was very clear that the, the job would only work for her remotely, and it made sense, and the, the, the job worked remotely. And I said, all good, and um, we do connect monthly, so that is a, you know, an expectation. And we do you know, have seasonal offsites, like those happen, and she was fine with that, but very clear, like I need to be kind of working on my own remotely. And it was interesting. You know, at the end of our first two quarter kind of sit down check ins, she said, what's amazing to me is when I reflect back on my best days of the last season, they were the days that we were together. And she said, and the funny thing is, I, I still want to work on my own and I still like to work from home and remotely, but I'm realizing I need those days. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes as a leader, we have to just be able to say, hey, we are all about people putting their head down and getting their work done. 
but not to the neglect of relationships. And we will fight hard to make sure that we have time and space for that relationship development. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's so important. It is. That's so important. Well, another uh, tension is the structure and flexibility. Mm. Tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I would feel based on the conversations I have with organizations every week that we've come out of the pandemic with this new expectation of flexibility. You know, and I hear managers and leaders say constantly, like, I can't recruit and keep people if I don't have a lot more flexibility than we used to have. Mm -hmm. And we're realizing that flexibility without structure doesn't work. And as we increase flexibility, paradoxically, we need to increase structure. One needs to be valued with the other. And, you know, it's interesting because I feel even in our small company, You know, the pandemic kind of gave us this gift of realizing we could have more flexibility than we ever knew. Yeah. But we've had to be really, really mindful of what structures need to be in place for that flexibility to be healthy. And, you know, one thing I say to organizations often, it's actually advice that was given to me many years ago. I remember when Becky and I were engaged, we were spending some time with this couple. They were kind of mentoring us. And I remember the one uh, individual said, You don't know this. But you're going into this relationship, this marriage, with lots of expectations on the other person, but you won't know what they are until they're not met. And she goes, based on your past experiences, based on your upbringing, based on marriages, this is just how it works until it's not. And what you need to be clear on is that's when you need to have the conversation, not about right and wrong, but of, hey, I'm curious, or wow, that was a surprise to me. And, you know, one thing I say to organizations right now, as you're getting into more flexibility, when you feel like, you know, a team member hasn't met the mark or is taking advantage of a system or is kind of letting you down in some way, start by just being curious and use that as an opportunity for a conversation because maybe you're not aligned on some structures. Maybe your expectation just isn't where theirs is. So things like, punctuality you know do we work in an environment where you can kind of show up a little bit later as long as you make up the time or not and again there's lots of lots of different approaches but if you feel like something's been violated that's when you want to check in on it another great one is availability of talking to coworkers after work hours you know is this uh, is this fully flexible or is there some structures and expectations in place mm-hmm. you know i I even know in our team, we talk a lot about kind of communication structures. When do you call someone? When do you email someone? Mm-hmm. When is a text okay? You know, and again, I think as we're navigating more flexibility, sometimes we just have to pause and say, are we aligned? And I'm not suggesting a structure playbook that's 100 pages long, <laughs> but I do think it's good to say, hey, as much as we have lots of flexibility, here's a few structures that we have. And those structures lead to expectations. So when it comes things to around meeting behaviors, availability, communication, punctuality, that's when we do want to clarify a few of those structures, mm-hmm. not to the neglect of flexibility, but so the flexibility works. Right, right. Well, and so it's fair, I think, too, right? To your point, don't take advantage of the flexibility, but leverage it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and it does help keep everyone aligned, too. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah. that managing that tension as well. Okay, 
communicating truthfully and tactfully. Our Ooh, favorite. Our favorite. <laughs> <laughs> What's your preference, Paul? <laughs> oh, I'm I'm on the tack side. Or I'm sorry, I'm on the truth side. I ironically or incidentally, I was raised in a way um where we were str- like our family norm was strong on the tactful. We we were caring. There was no question. There was love, but we didn't go there with each other because we didn't want to be disrespectful. You know, we didn't want to hurt people's feelings. I remember even when I was um, in my second year university, I came back from school and I decided to completely change my career path, which meant I had to go back and redo programs and courses. So Thanksgiving weekend, I was at the dinner table. I told the family and they were so accommodating and kind and supportive, my mom and dad. And, and yet I remember the next morning I was chatting with my sister. And I'm like, oh, I'm so relieved. Mom and dad are so good with my decision. And she's like, oh, no, they're not at all. They're very upset. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, why can't we have the conversation? And I think in some ways it almost made me swing to the other side where it's just truth and candor and say it like it is. But I've learned sometimes the hard way that brutally honest is actually not a badge of honor. Being the truth teller as kind of an excuse for shutting people down is actually something that you need to own because as I'm sure you've talked a lot about, I do need to have responsibility of expressing my intention, but I'm also responsible for my impact. Mm-hmm. And yes. you know what's, what's interesting about truth and tact is if you can, again, not do a little bit of both, but you can own both my candor and truth. And in our teams, we also are, are kind and, and diplomatic when we, those things come together, we actually have this really healthy level of assertiveness, which means that we can say what needs to be said sometimes in the moment to each other, but we do it in a way that's heard mm-hmm. and we do it in a way that builds trust. And I don't wonder, hmm, what's, what's Michelle saying when I'm not in the room? I know actually, and I value the relationship. Mm-hmm. So I like that you, you know, talked about poll preferences because I think one thing that's helpful in any team is to give people some basic tools on acknowledging, hey, you probably lean towards one side or the other. That's great. There's probably a superpower embedded in that so long as it doesn't become your excuse or the only place. Because again, wherever your poll preference is, you're going to have blind spots. So you need to do things that check in with those blind spots. I know as a person that's very biased towards truth and candor, you know, out of the hundred emails I send a day, there's probably one or two that I know I can't send until my colleague Claudia reads it. And she has a strong bias towards tactfulness and diplomacy. And she'd say, Tim, you just can't send that. (laughs) It's so clear. It's honest. And she's like, but here's what, here's the message you're sending. And you know, what's interesting is I just won't see that on my own. Mm -hmm. So I I have to own the fact that sometimes I got to go beyond what's comfortable and actually lean into someone who's on the other side of the continuum. Mm -hmm. You know, and similarly, I think, you know, one thing I say to teams that are are in kind of the downside of being overly nice, I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I, you know, we have, we're really nice to, and and again, kind and nice are not the same thing, but those, that can be a whole other conversation. You should anticipate that if you're wanting to step up a little bit of the the candor and the truth, it will be uncomfortable. You know, there's a part of our brain 
that will be triggered and you will feel it. It will, sometimes that's heart palpitations. Sometimes that's a little bit of anxiety. It's okay. It's okay that some conversations are uncomfortable. That doesn't mean I want to be walking on eggshells all the time. But if I'm always comfortable in my conversations, that's a red flag. Mm -hmm. So just being aware that it's okay that sometimes there's emotion in the room. And it's okay sometimes that I have to actually prepare myself to have a conversation. That's actually a sign that you're not just caring, but you're also candid. And that's a Mm -hmm. great blend. Yeah, it really is. And I think, uh, you know, I've recognized that growth comes from the discomfort and you just have to go through it. And that it's better to practice it that consistently than just to hold on what you really want to say, but you don't say it and you don't say it. And then actually the tension builds and builds and builds. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a good practice. It's a, and it's, a, it's such a personal one, right? It is. Truth and tact. Like it's such a personal one to that you, you have to own it to your point. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, it's when it's uncomfortable, it's why is it uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. So I think you've got to do your own reflection yeah. around what what is this really all about for mm-hmm. me, right? Like mm-hmm. as an individual and, um, you know, when you're sitting there and your chest is constricted, you know, and you're like just really reacting physically is based on programming, right? It's based on past experiences. And sometimes that stuff is really deep. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's that doing the deep dive for yourself to say, yeah. what is it about this for me that is bringing this reaction, right? This mm-hmm. this uh, response, but, you know, in my body or in my emotions, um, because it's not sometimes we can shift that off to the other person. Yeah, and it's, it's not about great. them. It's always about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's something to learn there. I, I think mm-hmm. my favorite quote from the last five or 10 years is from author and Dr. Susan David. She says, discomfort is the price of a price of admission to a meaningful life. Mm-hmm. If we can mm-hmm. start to, you know, lean into a bit of that discomfort. And, and I will also say like, we've used examples of, you know, speaking up or being more truthful. For me, sometimes it's uncomfortable to do what's right, which is say nothing or to hold back. <laughs> Or to actually say, you know what, I don't need to have this conversation right now. That's uncomfortable because I want to have it. I want to have it in the moment. I want to just say <laughs> what I'm thinking. Well, you know what? I've learned that sometimes if I just pause, I can come back from lunch and realize this isn't even a big deal. Or you know what? I'm seeing it differently now. So discomfort can come from any side of that polarity. Um, mm-hmm. And there can be a lot of wisdom there. Oh, definitely. There's always wisdom. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so the fourth one is promoting collaboration and independence. Yeah, this is this is again one that I think has really been put to the test. And I think it's in some ways being renegotiated as we're on this side of the pandemic because most organizations I work with leaned more towards independence. And I think we learned that in our team, whether it's two people or 200, we can actually divide and conquer pretty darn well. And we can. I think we learn actually we can be more independent than we thought. And again, I'm in conversations constantly these days saying, you know, our alignment's gone. Balls are being dropped. There's, you know, people are working in silos. And and not only that, work's just not as fun. You know, we're not getting that collaborative energy that that you know, that, that perspective to make what we do better. So, 
You know, I, I think that right now, and I would say to anyone listening, if you can really spend some time thinking about what would our team look like if we fully leverage both collaboration and independence, you know, allow people to independently do their piece and do it well, not to the neglect though of when we need to be working with others and coming up with different ideas and energy and pushback and feedback. And the one thing that I would also say is this will be different for every single person listening because collaboration and independence looks different based on the organization you're in. Mm -hmm. You know, a great, a great way to look at it is think of your organization as almost a sports team. And, you know, there's teams like relay teams where at the end of the day, I got to stay in my lane and I just got to make sure that that handoff is done well. That's the collab. Well, that team doesn't need as much collaboration as say a hockey team where, you know, no, my, my teammates were always passing back and forth, supporting each other. We're constantly changing our plays, changing our strategy. Well, that team needs a lot more collaboration. There's also teams, I, I would think of, you know, like a competitive gymnast team, you know, representing your country. Those small group of gymnasts want to collaborate in a way that allows them to win gold for the country, but they're also competing against each other. You know, in sales organizations, for example, that happens where it's like, hey, I also need the independence to win gold for myself. So mm -hmm. there's no one size fits all collaboration, independent strategy. What you want to start with, and this can be a great kind of try this at home for everyone listening, go to your team and say, what would it look like for us to maximize leverage collaboration and independence? Even what type of a team in the sports world? Or in the music world, there's bands and, you know, I've heard it referred to as jazz trios as opposed to a symphony. Like, what would we look like? And then that leads to conversations around, okay, what are some things that we can do in the season ahead to leverage both independence and collaboration? Mm -hmm. That really gets back to the expectations that you mentioned earlier, right? Because unless you have that conversation, you may all have different expectations. And so I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on the last, empowerment and accountability. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. Sometimes the first cousin of this is freedom and responsibility. So mm -hmm. I, I'd yeah. say focus on language that works for you. But I, I do feel, and it's so interesting because I was in a conversation yesterday with a senior leader who was next to tears. And she said, you know, I, I feel. You know, and in her mind, it was very much a, a generational thing, but she would say, I'm at a point where, you know, my new hires expect so much empowerment. You know, the, the, the expectation is I don't want to be micromanaged. You know, I just want to be empowered. And, and she talked about some experiences where some of these new team members had really not met the mark and dropped the ball. And she goes, and yet they're not, they're not willing to be accountable. And, you know, I was saying like, just first of all, that's a package deal. So I, I, I'm someone who leans towards empowerment. I love a team that has really high empowerment, but without accountability, it's disastrous. It's irresponsible. It's yeah. just not a business model that works. So, you know, it's, I, I'd say a few things around empowerment and accountability. You know, first of all, you know, if you look at at least the research that I've spent time going through, empowerment is directly linked 
to purpose, mastery, and engagement. Like people, you know, the best probably source is look at some of Daniel Pink's work. His book Drive really digs deep into this idea of if you can give people autonomy and mastery in something, their sense of engagement and purpose goes up. And, you know, we want to allow people to be empowered to do things that they love, that they can do well, equip them to do it well. Um, but that's not a matter of just giving out lists and say, good luck. Empowerment actually comes with accountability. Now, it, it's interesting. I think back years ago, I heard a story that said, if you're pu puppy training your dog, you know, when you come home from work and there's a little accident in the carpet, the first thing you do is take a newspaper, roll it up. And then proceed to hit yourself in the head three or four times. <laughs> it's not the dog's fault. It's your fault. Your job is to give that dog what they need to be successful. And similarly, when we're empowering people, our job is not just to be clear. Our job is to set people up for success. Mm -hmm. And accountability is not just holding people accountable. It's actually a relationship that evolves. It's mm -hmm. encouraging. And sometimes it's providing critical accountability. It's, it's ongoing and it's different for every team member. I have team members who the best way that I can empower them is to give them lots of space. I still have accountability, but lots of space. Well, I have other team members that, you know, I refer to them as imitators. They need to see it done well two or three times. Then they're fine. So as we're navigating with the team, hey, I want you to own this. I want you to just feel like you are totally empowered to do things in a way that works for your style, your learning style. And the more that you do that, the more accountable slash responsible I ex I'm expecting of you. And the other thing I'd say with that is training and development is not micromanaging. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting pushed back, if I don't want to be micromanaged, that's, that's fair. However, saying things, hey, in this organization, this is the way we do it. And I'm responsible to make sure that you can express and deliver kind of our brand expectation. That's not micromanaging. That's actually called being responsible. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. providing that level of accountability. And I think we can be super clear to people. And I, I, I'm not convinced it's a generational thing. But regardless, when people are saying, I really want my space, I really want to be empowered. You know, my answer always is, as do I for you. I, I, that's a model that works for me. And you need to know that we have a way of doing things and we have expectations that our clients have on us. So I want to get you to that place until you're there though, I'm going to be really connected to you. And, you know, again, that is not micromanaging. So be aware of that as a leader to say, Hey, it's okay to actually provide training to provide development, to provide support, sometimes to provide some redirect. Mm -hmm. And when we yeah. do that, again, I think that, you know, empowerment and accountability work together so that people ultimately their engagement and their, their sense of belonging goes up. Yeah. 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 I agree. I agree. There's a, there's a lot to that. And yeah. then I think too, yeah. you know, one of the things that strikes me as you know, as Michelle mentioned earlier, like we said, an opposite preferences, right? Mm -hmm. And as you have teams that are managing all of these, do you work with them around like really diving into 
understanding the team and where their preferences sit, because I think that has such a huge impact on their ability to leverage and manage these. If you have a team that's heavily on one of these tensions, right, heavy into empowerment, Mm -hmm. right, then I think it has an impact on what the team needs to do and the actions they have to take to make sure they're more balanced in that way. Can you just talk about that? Yeah. So, I mean, what I have provided in in next level teamwork is the opportunity, first of all, just to name the five and understand them. But then the second step is I just have a really simple assessment for each one to say, hey, where would you feel your team is right now? And, you know, there's times when I work with groups and they'd say, oh, we're just, we've leveraged that tension. We're getting all the upsides of both. But it's very common that we find ourselves very weighted on one side or the other. Um, And again, that's when we want to pause and say, okay, let's not just pendulum swing and then go all about the other side until that doesn't work. Let's hold on to what's working, but ask ourselves, how do we integrate a little bit more of that other value, that opposite? Now, the other side to that is that you want to look at that from an individual level. Mm -hmm. Team members, where would you be? And, you know, there can be a really simple exercise you do where you just kind of have people in the room kind of go to what side would you lean towards? And I have yet to work with the team anywhere in the world where when I name attention, like, for example, truthfulness and tactfulness, that everyone's in the middle. There's people all over the room. Some people are subtly biased towards tact, some towards truth. Some people are against the wall because it's such a strong bias. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll always say, this is a good thing. This means that we see things differently. We can provide perspective and pushback. And, you know, I also say, wherever you are in the room, what you want to be looking for is the person on the other side. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. too often we seek out cheerleaders that see things the way we see them. Mm-hmm. Where what we really want are challengers, people that can say, gosh, I don't see it that way. Or you know what? Here's the concern I have about that approach. Not to tell me I'm wrong, but to allow me to see a bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And I think when you can, again, name and assess where are we and then look at where, where do people in the team lie? Mm-hmm. Well, then we can start to say, okay, how do we use this to our advantage? Right. Again, we live in a world that loves to pick sides. We, we, we don't like to acknowledge that some things don't have an either or right, wrong approach. But when we can get to the place with these tensions and say, hey, these are not going away. We will never solve these. It is not either or, it's both and. Mm-hmm. We start to recognize that there's actually wisdom and resistance. And there's harmony by unifying lots of different points of views and perspectives. Um, And again, right now, I don't believe there's any greater competitive advantage than a team that can start to lean into some of these tensions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Here, here. (laughs) Yeah, they are definitely the top five. They're the ones we see everywhere as well and experience in our own teams. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. We do. do. So we enjoyed your book very much. And it's... that's what I love about polarities too, is they never go away. Mm. So it's always learning. And as the team changes, you're always need to relook at, and we, we relook at our core company value polarities every quarter. So uh, it's such a valuable tool. Can't imagine not having it. (laughs) Thanks for bringing this to the world. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, Tim. Oh, it's my pleasure. And you know what? I, I will say that as I was starting to kind of get into researching and, and putting a, the, the book together, um, the research isn't super encouraging in terms of the amount of people 
that deal with team dysfunction day in and day out. Um, you know, the numbers are well over 50% of people who spend most of their, you know, at least half their waking hours during the week dealing with division and drama and dysfunction. And, and it doesn't have to be that way as much as, as much as there's no perfect team and as much as we'll always be working away at it. If you're willing to kind of really lean into some of these tensions and together say, Hey, we're going to manage these well, all of a sudden the team is something that gives us energy. The team's something that, mm-hmm. you know, allows us to feel like we belong here and we're doing good work. We're making a difference. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I've said it many times, life's just way too short to, you know, live in a dysfunctional team environment. So it's, it's a great opportunity right now to say, how do we lean into some of these tensions and really make the most of who's around the table? Yeah, yeah I yeah. totally agree. For sure. For sure. Well, we're going to close our uh, time with you, Tim, with uh, the true questions, because we want to get to know a little bit more about the true you, the personal <laughs> side of you. So I'm going to ask you one question, and then Tracy's going to ask you a second question. So Fantastic. We can't wait to hear the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to hear the questions. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> All right. So the first question is, if you could spend a day with anyone, someone who's passed or someone that is still alive, who would it be and why? Mm, that's a wonderful question. If I could spend a day with anyone, I think, I think it would be with Mother Teresa. I, I, uh, I read and studied and, and when I was doing some research for my, my master's, I actually dug into her work a lot. And I, the more I learned, the more curious I became around just how she led, why she led the way she did. Um, I actually had a chance to go to Calcutta and spend some time in the mission that she oversaw. And I just, I find her and her work and, and, and really specifically her, her humble leadership style, absolutely fascinating. And I would, I I just have countless questions uh, Mm. for her. So I think it would be, I think it'd be Mother Teresa. Mm. Oh, what an awesome answer. Awesome. That's great. Okay. Now this one's really hard. Okay. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Michelle gave me the hard one. What's one important thing hockey has taught you about life? Mm. <laughs> wow, you're favoring my Canadian side. I love it. Um, you know what I will tell you, and I've watched this um, with my son specifically. Um, he wouldn't. He wouldn't. He would have definitely struggled relationally at a young age, and um, the hockey environment, I believe, has been transformational for him. Um, and I don't think it's just hockey. I think it's the, you know, being in a support, a sport that you love, that you have to work hard in. And as someone who hasn't, relationships weren't natural, just being part of a team, learning to take direction, learning to take encouragement and criticism. Um, I feel that for him, relationally, socially, it's, it's been truly life-changing. And mm-hmm. I, I think that, you know, we, we definitely, I think, have l- less opportunities than ever before to be in environments where we really get challenged and pushed. And, you know, I think so long as those are challenges and pushes that are healthy, um, mm-hmm. it's good to learn to win and lose. 
And it's actually good to sometimes make the team and sometimes not make the team. So mm-hmm. I would feel, you know, I, I've, I, that has taught me, but as I've watched it with my kids, both my son and daughter both play hockey. Um, I think that it's just so healthy to be in a team environment um, that pushes you and uh, on many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love hockey. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you're welcome to join me as I drive, uh, drive Declan to a 6 a.m. practice three times a week. So <laughs> you got to really love hockey to, <laughs> to be there. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Oh. But what a great experience for your son and probably for you as well, right? Just to see that yes. growth and development for mm-hmm. him and how happy you must be that he's yeah. finding that for himself. So yeah, it's, no, really it's, awesome. it's, it's fantastic. It's, yeah. uh, it's fun to watch. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, just, we actually got the call last night. He, he, we're quite happy with the level he's at, but he said, I feel like I can go further. And we're like, Oh, really? Like it's kind of good right <laughs> now. But, so he tried out for this new team as a travel team. And he was the only outside kid that made it 70 some kids tried out. So we're like, wow, this is great. Um, I mean, it's made our lives very busy. I've loved every minute of it, but very busy. We got the call last night where he actually has been asked to go up a level, um, which regardless of our decision and his decision, um, I just think it's so good to realize like I'm capable of this. I can do this. I'm going to do the work. And it's the, you know, he always says I hundred shots a night. He comes home and we got a shooting pad in the backyard, hundred shots a night. Because if I can do 100 shots a night, I'm going to get that top corner. Like these are good lessons in life. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah. it's fun to watch. Yeah. Oh. That gave me goosebumps. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have any last remarks you'd like to make before we f- finally close our conversation today? No, I, 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 I mean, thank you for inviting me back. I mean, it's always nice to be able to have a conversation like this, but to be actually able to come back and, and, and reconnect with the community and the two of you is an honor. Um, I, I, I will say, I, I think that coming out of the pandemic, teams have really been put to the test because there's been so much change. There's been so much change in how we do our work, where we do our work, technologies elevated in terms of how we leverage it. And in some ways, I think team effectiveness has really taken a hit. Um, and, you know, that's just sad because we, we want to spend our days working in a productive team. But it also, I think right now is just a great opportunity. So, you know, don't be down and out because your team isn't knocking it out of the park. Actually, don't be that surprised. That's pretty common right now. And now's the time to say, okay, what does moving forward look like? What would it look like for us next quarter to be a little bit more aligned, a little bit more trusting, you know, a little bit more collaborative? And mm-hmm. I think that is the question that organizations need to be asking now more than ever. So yeah. um, happy to have the conversation with you. And I hope that this is exactly what some of your listeners needed to hear. Oh, I'm sure it is. Oh, yes. <laughs> I have no I doubt. I have no doubt. That's right. <laughs> I'll thank so much for being here with us. It's just, it's always such a pleasure to connect with you. And it was just a delight to do this session mm-hmm. with you. And uh, 
We want to thank our listeners as well. We're grateful for you being here listening. I'm sure you got a lot of value out of this conversation today. And if so, please share it. Share it with others. Let them know about Tim's new book and, uh, and let them know about the podcast as well. And uh, if you uh, are so inclined, please subscribe to the True Leader podcast on your favorite app and uh, and check us out also on YouTube if you'd like to actually watch it live. <laughs> watch the interview. Yes. <laughs> okay, take care, stay safe and stay healthy. Take care. Bye. Bye.